We hope you enjoy this message and that it encourages and inspires you. For more information, head to lifepointwithanee.org.au. Well, good morning, church. It's a privilege to be bringing the last word to the book of Nehemiah. And uh, it's been a great series. I trust that you've got something out of it. Uh, I've certainly enjoyed um, being uh, on a team preaching it, and uh, I've certainly got probably more than all of you out of it, and it's been tremendous. And uh, today is just an opportunity to kind of bring it together, and, um, and hopefully I can do that well today. Why don't we just turn to the Lord in prayer? Father God, we want to thank you for the power of your word. It's called the double-edged sword, Lord. And Lord, we ask that uh, you would have surgery with us today. That Lord, uh, you are kind to us, you are good to us, you are gentle. You do not treat us as our sins deserve. And Lord, we ask that you would speak to us today, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Much of what I'm going to share today comes from uh, chapter 13, and, uh, but we're kind of doing a little bit of a wrap-up, and, uh, and I'm going to do that by telling a couple of stories in a moment. But just the circumstances uh, that we're at in chapter 13, uh, we've learned about the amazing work that Nehemiah has done, that he felt that uh, there was problems in Jerusalem. He asked the king, gets permission, comes back to Jerusalem, and rebuilds the walls, but he not only rebuilds the walls, he does a lot of work. He deals with the enemy, he organises the people, he rebuilt the wall, yes. He sets up an infrastructure for the repopulating of the city and he led a great celebration and a dedication. And uh, that was a huge event. Uh, After all the people have achieved all this work and, and the people returned to uh, be a nation once again in Jerusalem. Uh, Nehemiah and Ezra as well uh, were involved in uh, throwing a huge uh, days of celebration, but it wasn't just about celebration. It was involved in worshiping the Lord and it was about setting themselves right to the things of God. Many things had gone by the way over the years. And so uh, he got the people to write uh, a covenant, a commitment, to a number of various things that they would do, that they would return to the book of the law, the Torah, and they would do the right thing once again. Uh, They'd gone off track, the place had been ruined, they'd been disciplined with the exile, and now it was time to rebuild. And so he sets things aright, and the people make a number of promises. And it's interesting to note about the promises, and that's what the sermon is really about, Today, it's about staying fast to the promises that you and I have made. The promises in faith and faithfulness that we have made. Nehemiah goes back to, uh, to the Persian uh, leadership. He goes back to the king. He's been 12 years putting all this together. I don't know how the king felt that it seemed like Nehemiah was just gonna go back for a couple of months, rebuild the wall, and then he would return. But somehow that time has been extended. It took 12 years of Nehemiah's life to rebuild, to re-infrastructure, to to re-establish Jerusalem. He goes back and he's uh, put in a position as a, a, a strategic advisor of the king. 
And we believe he was there about seven years in that role and then he retires. And in his retirement, he wants to return back to his town, which he has rebuilt, to his roots, to his heritage and live out his days there. However, when he returns, he is heartbroken about the various things that have taken place. Four of the very important promises that he had made or the people had made were already broken. And I wanna go through quickly and talk about what those promises were. The first one was the separation promises, okay? Being careful with how they handle Gentiles, non-Jews, allowing them to infiltrate into their community. He gets back into Jerusalem and finds that the very fellow who was the underdoing or trying to underdo and bring them down politically in the building of the wall, Tobiah had been given a dwelling in the centre of the temple. Now, can you get this? This guy is their enemy. But Elijah, who is the priest or the high priest, somehow has developed a relationship with Tobiah and has allowed him to rent a room in the temple. And it's not just a room, it's, it's an area as big as a warehouse. And Tobiah is living out his days in the plush and rich environment of the temple. Well, that was a real error on the part. And so Nehemiah had to deal with that. And the second part of the separation was not to marry with those people around. And surely what they were doing was marrying left, right and centre, the people from the nations around. They had broken that first promise. And then there was the support promise. What's the support promise like Pastor Phil was talking about? Everyone contributed to the finances and the food of the temple so that a whole uh, nation with a nation, the Levites, could live out their lives and give themselves totally to the work of God. Well, they had all had to go out to the fields to work and get jobs because there was no money in the storehouse. There was no supply for the people to operate in the matters of religion and matters of serving God. And they'd forgotten to tithe to the Lord. Then there was the Sabbath promise. Not only were they to keep the Sabbath, but they weren't to do any business with Gentiles on the Sabbath. Well, what had happened? That law went out the window, that promise, and they were going hand over foot in markets and operating and buying and selling on the Sabbath. Things had gone to mush. Poor old Nehemiah was devastated and he was very cranky. It says in the Word of God that when he got back, he was very upset with what was going on. It's like wheeling a whip. He brought things back into water really, really quickly and rebuked the people and dealt with their sin and uh, sorely uh, commanded them that they would set things aright. Such is the respect that Nehemiah had amongst the people that the people repented and returned to their ways. Now you and I look at that story and go, that's a dreadful thing. Thank God I'm not like that. You didn't say that, did you? You thought, ooh, we're human, aren't we? And one of the problems with being human is, is being forgetful. And uh, we get forgetful at different stages of our lives and uh, we seem to get more forgetful as we get older. Is that right? 
My wife keeps telling me that all the time. (laughs) Keeping promises is really, really important and sometimes it's really hard work. Now, if you have come to the Lord Jesus and if you made a simple desire and request verbally or internally that you wanted to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, you want to invite Him into your life, you want to maintain a relationship with Him, not only at the outset, but for a lifetime. You have made a promise, haven't you? And what is the whole enactment in baptism? Baptism is, is, a, is a play, a metaphor of what's been happening in your life. If you go under the water and if you stay there, if Pastor Phil puts his foot on top of you, you will cease to exist. You know, I know Phil's never done that, so don't be worried about any baptism in the future. But if you were to stay there, you would breathe water and you would die. And the whole imagery of immersion in water is that I have died to my old way of life. And when I'm raised anew, that I am raised into my new life. And it all speaks of the resurrection. There's so much imagery and metaphor taking place of the meaning of what happens when we come to Jesus. It's powerful. And if you have been through that process, you have made a promise to the living God. And that's very important and it's not to be taken lightly. And often when I talk to people in preparing them to baptism, I'm serious about this. And I say, are you serious about what you're doing? Are you making a lifelong commitment here to what Jesus is requesting in your life? It's a calling. It's responding in obedience to the living God. Now I've got on your you version app, uh, 10 points that follow from this point on. And uh, thank God I'm not going through those today. We'll be here till lunchtime. And uh, all of you are smiling at this point. But you can look at that. That's a bit of homework about uh, the Nehemiah's top 10 that we can learn from uh, this little booklet about um, life and how we can move forward and deal with sin and uh, remember who God is and so on. But I just wanna focus on two different aspects this morning. I wanna focus on looking back and then looking forward. Now, if we're still alive, we still have the opportunity to do that. Is that right? We have the opportunity to look back over our lives or we have, and we have the opportunity to look forward in our lives. And this is all in terms of keeping or standing by our promises. Looking back, many of you would know that I am a Bundy boy. I grew up in Bundaberg, had wonderful godly parents. And uh, from a very early early age, I I had a a passion for my little town. Uh, If we drive into Bundaberg and we see a sugarcane harvester on the side of the road, I nearly explode. My family wonder what they've got as a father. If I see machinery in a tomato farm, if I see uh, the, the, the hummock in Bundaberg or the river, the Burnet, I get so excited. If I go to the beaches of Bundaberg, I just love every one of them. There's something about Bundaberg that, that calls me. It calls me home. There's a smell in Bundaberg like nowhere else in the world when rain's about to come. This earthen smell. And it takes me back. 
There's something about uh, the winters in Bundaberg, mild winters. There's something about cane fires and the atmosphere of the agriculture and the small crops and the industry and the fishing industry as well. I have always loved Bundaberg with a passion. Now at very, very young age, at 23, I, was, I followed God's call on my life to be an evangelist with Youth for Christ. I never realised that at that point, I would never return to the city that I love. I simply followed God's call on my life in obedience and went off with the hope that one day that I would return. I left Bundaberg, I went on uh, a long excursion with Youth for Christ. I finished that time and then I studied in New South Wales in Sydney to become a minister at, at Morling College. And, then, uh, and that was in Sydney. And then uh, I took a church in Sydney, um, Borkham Hills Baptist, and then I moved across to Mortdale Baptist a little later. And in all that time, <clears throat> there was burning in my heart this love for Bundaberg thinking that one day that I would return. And when I was coming close to the end of my ministry at Mortdale, uh, I applied for a number of positions in Bundaberg in ministry. And uh, over a long period of time, it became obvious that that wasn't going to happen. And I remember the battle in my heart of dealing with that. In the midst of that, I received a call from here and, uh, and the rest is history. But along the way, I've had uh, many opportunities or some opportunities to go back to Bundaberg, but God has always called me on and to leave it behind. And I remember we were holidaying one day at uh, Burham Heads and uh, I was really hit with this grief of the loss of my town, the loss of something that was so important to me and so precious and so valuable and the longing to return there. And uh, I remember sitting on a, no on a rock in, at about nine o'clock at night and just the tears were running down my face as I submitted to the fact that I will probably never live there again. And that was severe to me. That was a, a real watershed moment. But you know, even today, Bundaberg calls me. Even today, I feel nostalgic about my hometown. Even today when I go and visit my parents in Bundaberg, it still calls to me. And sometimes it's an emotional time as I drive past and see various things and I smells and that trigger those memories. It's very nostalgic and, and uh, it's hard to leave there. God's call on my life, I never quite realised at the start, would not only mean to follow Him, but it would be to leave my past behind and I felt the pain of that I wouldn't say I feel it weekly I feel it probably monthly and it's a it's a deep thing for me but you know when God called the people of Israel to set things right under Nehemiah's hand he called them to leave the past behind for some of those things, they were sinful things. Some of those things were grief points. Some of those things 
were ways of life and the ways that they'd lived and habits. And Nehemiah said things are right and said, leave those things behind. There is a new future for you. And that new future can involve sacrifice, can't it? That we can't do what other people might do for a short season. We have to make commitments and we have to say no to certain things. And we have to put sin behind us. And some of those things are sacrifices. But God calls you and I to follow Him, amen? And we all feel something of the loss and the goodness of that, if we're honest. Looking back, looking forward. My mum and dad are mid-80s and they're really failing. My dad has what Bruce Willis has been diagnosed with recently and has become very public, aphasia. My dad's communication center started to falter two and a half years ago. He would forget words and the wrong words would come out. My dad is an articulate, well-spoken man. And I love that about him. I love my phone calls with him. I love my chats. I love visiting there. My dad has been reduced to a man who cannot speak. He cannot think correctly. He can't add up. There's no way he can communicate with you except through his eyes. And he does a pretty good job with that. My mum's starting to lose her faculties. They're still living in a little house in Brown Street in Bundaberg. And I'm going there more often these days to care for them as much as I can. It's not a pretty sight. I've shed many tears over my mum and dad. My mum and dad are good Christian people. My mother is an example of absolute faith, watching her on her knees every night, giving, saying her prayers. And many times I tucked mum into bed after she'd gone to sleep on her knees. They were godly people, they are godly people and they've walked close with the Lord. But I'm seeing in them right now the toughest season that they'll ever face. Old age is not kind, folks. And it's hard to maintain your faithfulness and to remember your promises in those seasons. I'm seeing my mum and dad falter, doubt, concerned, fearful, things I've never seen in them before that they're really struggling with. You see, as a Christian, keeping our promises is very important because the Bible takes great stock in not how you start, how passionate you might be at the beginning. The Bible takes stock about how? About how you finish. Paul talks about, I've run the race, I've won the victory. It's coming through that string at the end that's important and doing that well with goodness and godliness and grace. As we look at Nehemiah and the story, we see as human beings, just like the people of Jerusalem, uh, we're quite fickle. Circumstances can really knock us and we can change and we can go back, we can give up just like Peter went back to fishing. But the Word of God calls us to go forward, 
to go forward, to win the victory and to put our trust in Him no matter what the circumstances, that through thick and thin that we will remain firm and faithful to our promises because He will instill in us the capacity and the ability to do so. Let me read in just closing um, the outline, a paragraph that is written about Nehemiah. Firstly, Nehemiah writes in uh, Nehemiah 13, verse 22, he says, Remember me for this also, O my God, and show mercy to me according to your great love. Remember me with favour, O my God. And this is what it writes. He reminded God of his faithfulness and prayed that what he had done would not be blotted out. Nehemiah wasn't pleading for blessing on the basis of personal merit because he knew that God's favour only comes by His grace and mercy. He is simply asking God to remember him and what he has done. He wanted God's favour and reward, not the accolades of men. These prayers reveal an attitude towards life. Nehemiah could not have built, a, could have built a monument to himself. He could have written this inscription on the wall, built by Nehemiah the Great. He could have looked back on his life and been proud of his accomplishments, or he could have been frustrated because of the believers had broken their promise. In other words, he could have been impressed with his past accomplishments and discouraged by the present situation. But he chose neither of those things. He simply said, Lord, a day is coming when all this will be over. I want the meaning of my life to be anchored in the future. He knew that there was a time coming when he'd be rewarded by the Lord and embraced by Him. His prayers revealed that he is living for that day when the Lord will say to him, well done, good and faithful servant. I'm just gonna invite the worship team to come out at this point. Folks, that's a good perspective for you and I to have. As perhaps we've looked back and as we struggled Perhaps as we look forward and we worry. A great perspective to have is that one day there'll be eternity. And that's awesome. And that's really where I'm building towards. That's really where my life will count. I have to finish this apprenticeship and I have to finish it well for the glory of God. The forever land is forever. This is just a season. It will come, it will go, but I can be with the Lord forever. Folks, we wanna finish well, amen? We wanna break through that line with our chest and go, Lord, I've done it in Your strength. Thank You, Lord. I have won the battle. I have finished the race. I have been faithful to You. May you stand at this point, please. I wanna pray for you today that you may have such a fervour for the Lord that you seek to walk with Him. Pastor Phil and I were just chewing the fat this week about fervour looks different when you're old. You see, when you're young, you've got this thing called passion. You have kind of less of that as you get older. But passion grows into fervour. It's like an anchor. It's a clear resolve to fight. It may not have all the bells and whistles, but it's strong and it's deep and it may look different, but it's still there. Do you want fervour? Do you wanna serve the Lord for all of your days? Do you wanna win the battle? Do you wanna embrace 
the string at the end. Do you wanna hear those words? Well and well and good, what is it? Well done, good and faithful servant, that's it. <laughs> 